Hello, I'm George Kaler, and this is Tea with George. Every week, we're going to talk about what matters most. This is our maiden podcast, so I believe introductions are in order, and I'll go first. I'm George Kaler, I'm 79 years old, raised on a small family farm in Pennsylvania. I taught high school English, and then I toured and recorded as the bass player with rock bands. After I put my childhood away, I went back to school and got my financial degrees. For the past 50 years, I've been a financial planner and a wealth manager. My hobbies are music, hunting and fishing, and theoretical physics. I'm also a constitutional conservative and a Christian. I see history and current events through the lens of my faith. And today I have with me Diane Gruber, a retired attorney on the coast of Washington, somewhere along the Columbia River there, I think the mouth of the Columbia River. Also with me is Professor Steve Putney, a history professor and an expert on the Constitution. And because this is our first podcast, I'm going to have the guys on that I, I, think, I think you're going to be on regularly. So let's get to know who you are. Diane, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I recently retired from practicing law in the Portland, Oregon area for 34 years. Um, Literally within a few weeks of when I retired, the um, Democrats sent uh, the domestic terrorists to our neighborhood. I lived in a very nice, uh, uh, I guess they would call it upscale suburb. And uh, by the time the, uh, the BLM riots came to our neighborhood, the police were so afraid to do anything, or the, the city council, they were told to stand down. And uh, I figured out, well, I there's no way that I can operate a shotgun. So that was it. We moved. We moved to our beach house in Washington, uh, Washington State, and um, where there's no riots. And uh, well, the Democrats don't control it here yet, so there's virtually no crime. Okay, um, and I. I used to write for some blogs, and uh, and I got to thinking. My brother-in-law said, "You need to start writing for Substack." And by the time he made that suggestion, I was so up to my eyeballs in all of the lying, constant lies and false narratives coming from the Democrats and so forth. I just couldn't tolerate it, and so that's the reason I started writing because I wanted facts to get out. And that's the reason I agreed to come on your show, uh, George. Is we, 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 the only way we can fight normal people with facts and our perspective, the only way we can fight back because the, the left owns the media is, is to do what you're doing. Um, and so that's why I'm here today. <laughs> We're glad you are here. What a background you have. We're going to get to know you a little bit better over the weeks and years. And, uh, you know, you've been a writer, now you're going to be a talker. Well, Steve, tell us about yourself a little bit here. Yes, thanks, George. I grew up in Indiana. <clears throat> I'm from the Midwest. I went to, did my undergraduate work in Illinois, then moved back to Indiana after I got married, and did my master's at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, then moved back to Illinois. I couldn't decide which state I wanted to be in. And went to the University of Illinois for my doctoral work and have moved 
south of the border, if you will, into Virginia and taught at Liberty University. Uh, in terms of hobbies, <clears throat> I love to read. I used to tell people that's one reason I wanted to teach. It was the only way I knew I could be a full-time student and get paid for it. Um, I think of what Erasmus said one time. He said, um, when I have money, I buy books. If I have any left over, I buy food. Well, it's a little broader than that. He didn't have to pay income tax and all other kinds of taxes that we're burdened with today. So I guess a large portion of what you and I and everyone else earns goes for taxes. But if I have any left over, I buy some books. I love to read. Um, that would be my best hobby. I carry a book with me nearly every place I go, even the bathroom, wow. if I can say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I even, I read all the time too. And even when I'm at the urinal, I'm reading something because why waste that 15 seconds on something you don't need to think about? And here's 12 seconds from today's sponsor. Certified Social Security Advisors. Don't make your most important decision without professional advice. CertifiedSSA.com. Today I want to discuss the, uh, the classified papers that they found in Trump's Miralago. I don't think it was hard to find them since he told where they were and he showed the FBI where they were. And then they raided his, uh, his home and, and uh, they even looked in uh, uh, Mrs. Trump's underwear drawer for stuff. I, I'm not sure how she felt about that but I hope they got their jollies from it. And uh, then they started finding things in Biden's home, his garage, a lot of other places. Probably he had some bathroom reading too that was classified papers. But I'm, I'm going to start with Steve here. What is your take on what the government's trying to do and the implications? Uh, this is just, there's no wrong answers here because you two... You've heard about the sharpest knives in the drawer. You're on here because I chose you because you're the sharpest knives in the drawer. So tell us what you're thinking, Steve. Well, it's interesting the way you worded the question there. What is the government doing here? Um, I don't know if you're suggesting or intimating or conjecturing that maybe the government planted some of those documents. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you think about classified information... And uh, I'm not sure how many of our listeners are aware, there are over 800,000 people that have some level of security clearance in the United States. I used to have cl uh, security clearance. You did? Yeah, when we lived in Germany. Interesting. Well, <clears throat> that's about one in every 400 Americans. And there's no way that anyone can police what those 800,000 people are doing uh, with respect to what access of information they have. Uh, remember the story of Sandy Berger, who walked out? Yeah. 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 And his underpants. Yeah, that's right. And his, I think he stuffed some in his socks as well. <clears throat> I hope that was yeah. all sanitized uh, after it was, before it was returned <laughs> to NARA. Is that the way you pronounce the agency, the acronym? National Archives mm -hmm. Record uh, administration is it NARA? NARA? I'm not sure how they pronounce it. Nara, I never pronounced NARA. <laughs> NARA is that it? I think so. Well, um, you know, I've had to wonder. Not with respect to Donald Trump. I don't think you can really compare the two. I mean, because the president 
he can declassify what he wants to declassify. Um, a vice president cannot. And the documents yes. that, that Biden has that access to are not from the time he's been the chief executive, but the time when he was vice president. Can we compare what Trump has and what Biden has? I mean, it's not apples and apples. It's apples and oranges here. Anyway, that's, that's an initial comment. Um, I'll, I'll defer to my colleague on the West Coast, too. <laughs> okay. Um, she's on the West Coast, but not on the left coast, not where she oh, is. Anyway, Diane, talk, talk to us about your feelings on all this. Well, for starters, there is no way, shape, or form that Biden will be treated as horrendously as Trump was. I mean, the way they treated Trump over 15 boxes that were in Mar-a-Lago that, that the FBI had already pawed through a month or two earlier that had 24-7 Secret Service men with guns. Uh, I mean, these were, you couldn't get much more secure than those 15 boxes. There's no way anybody was going to get in there and read or take those, whatever the documents were. And yet, look at the way he was treated. Hmm. Wasn't even given the courtesy of a heads up. And then, of course, Biden, I mean, they're just treating him with kid gloves. There's no way. Biden will not get in trouble. The DOJ and whoever else is handling the investigations, they're not going to touch him. They're not going to touch him. We already know that. It's all a facade that they're going through. And they just yesterday, right after I published my article, they just yesterday, what, over, what, has it been three months now, four months now, they, for the first time they went to his beach house uh, in Rehoboth Beach. First time. He was there two weeks ago, probably shredding the documents. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious here. But, I mean, why? Did, how come they didn't send the, uh, the SWAT team immediately to all of his offices and homes and so forth. No, of course not. And, and his attorneys were allowed in there too. With all the searches, his attorneys were, were uh, accompanying the FBI. Whereas Trump's attorneys had to stand outside in the 110 degree heat in Florida in August while, while the FBI went through the uh, Mar-a-Lago residence. So there's, there's no comparison. You can't, you can't even begin to compare. And it's so obvious. The partisanship is so painfully obvious. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. And, and, and Americans take note of this. They know it. They know it. Uh, Diane, you alluded to something there that I've had the feeling ever since Trump walked down the staircase to announce his presidency. Why? Why are they doing this? I mean, my family is in the uh, energy business, Kaler Energy Resources, and uh, Obama shut down our coal fields, and then Mr. Biden shut down our gas wells. And uh, yeah. so yeah. I'm, it's, I'm already a bit sensitive about his energy policies because it affects me personally. And we were selling mm -hmm. everything for about one-third the price that Americans are now paying. Uh, Trump was so good for America. He made us energy independent. The economy was good. Inflation was low. Why are they doing this to him? Diane, you go first on that one. Oh, oh, it's painfully obvious because he has the America first mentality. And the first time since 
the Clinton administration, or well, maybe I should say the first time since the Reagan administration, uh, the economy was coming back up. People were, wages were going up and so on and so forth. He stopped the slide. They're trying to destroy the middle class. And he's, and, and the middle class has been, and you know, you've got the stats. It's easy to check. The middle class has been dying little by little, every administration after Reagan. They have had policies that have diminished the middle class, less home ownership, lower wages, et cetera, et cetera, ever since. Well, he stopped that. And so I feel it really wasn't so much that they hated Trump as they hate Americans and they don't want Americans to be independent. And the middle class is, all, you know, the middle class says, you know, uh, what's the word? It has a lot of confidence. If we don't have to beg for our food, we have a little bit more confidence and, and, and we want our freedoms intact. And he gave some of that back to us. He gave us an attitude about, wait a minute here, you know, we're Americans and we should not be treated the way we've been treated. You know, NAFTA was, the, you know, NAFTA was the beginning of destroying the middle class. Officially, that was the beginning, in my opinion. Well, Diane, let me ask you, Diane, let me just ask you something. What you just said sounds almost preposterous. Uh, Aren't these Americans doing this? Why would Americans make war on Americans? It's the ruling elite. It's the Mandarin overlords. See, they think they will be the head of head of the what's the word? Once the rest, of, they're making peons and they're making serfs out of the rest of us because they, the ruling elite thinks that they'll always be in charge, that whether it's the Nancy Pelosi's or the Obama's or whoever. And then the next step down, the mandarins, that, the, the mandarin overlords that, 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 that do all the dirty work for the ruling elite, they think they'll always be in charge. So they don't really care about the rest of us. They don't, even their own relatives. Their own, you know, neighbors, friends, whatever their their kids, their grandkids, and stuff. They don't care if we are pushed into poverty as long as they're, you know, make, calling all the shots. Steve, do you feel the same way as Diane does about the ruling elite? I do. Not only do they want to push us into poverty, many of us they want to push into the grave. Most of them are eugenicists, yes. and they want to eliminate a large portion of not just the population of the United States, but the population of the world. Are there too many of us? What's the problem? Well, they think there is. They think there's too many of us. How are they going to decide who do we eliminate? I'm afraid that it might be the three of us. (laughs) Uh, Well, it is. They they want to get rid of the baby boomers. Absolutely. Anybody over 60 is the target at this point. But look how many... Sorry, I I interrupted. That's fine. No problem. But look how many people... Uh, in their prime of life, are suddenly dying. Um, now whether that's from the vax or from COVID, I'm not sure. But it's not just those over 60 they want to eliminate. They want to, they want to eliminate as many of us as possible. Now, one reason I think, George, they want to eliminate Americans, there's an economic component there, as Diane points out. <clears throat> um, you know, Social Security system cannot carry the weight as the baby boomers are retiring um, it'll financially collapse, cause a financial collapse in the system. <clears throat> but there's another reason, I think, besides an economic factor, and I think that is a theological factor. Um, these people are globalists, and what stands in their way of power is Christian faith. 
And if they can destroy yes. America, they've destroyed Christian faith. It's always been a thorn in their side, hasn't it? It certainly has. You know, I was um, I was in a oh, group yes. discussion the other day with some actuaries with insurance companies. What they do, they they look at age, family background, your job, your hobbies and stuff, and they determine how long you're going to live. And the accuracy mm-hmm. on a grand scale is it's really unbelievable. They can determine just about to the hour when you're going to die. And, uh, <laughs> of course, they don't know if it's you or somebody else, but right. because they, they right. look at, let's say, 100,000 people with the same right. situation, how many of them are going to die the first year and the second year and so on, what they discovered was younger people, 25 to 50, are suddenly dying. And they found yes. something in common. They've been vaccinated. And now they're talking about what do we do about underwriting, that is, writing life insurance on people who have been vaccinated. What are our risks in doing so? And how much more do we charge them? Should we write them at all? Are they going to be able to get life insurance at all? Now, this, I'm not even sure what's going to happen there because um, kids who have a zero chance of dying from COVID are getting vaccinated. And I've read several cases where young kids are getting sick and dying after the vaccination. So this this could be a problem. And I'm in the life insurance business, in part of my financial planning business. I write, I underwrite very large policies on, on people. We have an underwriting division for 100 million and more. So if a person wants to say, uh, $200 million of life insurance, uh, see me. <laughs> Not many of those around, but more than wow. you might think. So uh, what are we going to do in the wow. insurance industry with vaccinated people? Yeah. And you're saying, yeah. or are you saying, am I putting words in your mouth, Steve, that this might be part of the global population um, I don't trying see, to get it lower? I don't see any other explanation. I think that is right. I think they are using this as a bioweapon to eliminate as many people as possible and deceiving us or deceiving the American population, maybe the world population, in the process. And I can see my podcast getting canceled uh, by everybody (laughs) for us uh, bringing that up. (laughs) Diane, what's your take? Is it as severe as Steve's? Well... I think Steve is right. He's right. There's things that are going on that are there, are, you know, a zillion things going on behind the scenes that, that uh, you know, we're never going to know about. They're never going to come clean and so forth. And there's all kinds of, of uh, shenanigans going on. But yes, they, I, um, if you've ever listened to Catherine Austin Phipps, uh, she claims that uh, starting in 1998, is when the government started the process of, of uh, trying to lower life expectancy in part. And main reason was because they hadn't, because they had already stolen all the social security money from the baby boomers. And so, and this is, I, I won't go, I, 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 I'm not saying I completely accept what she said, but she was, she's done the stats and everything. So uh, I think that's part of what's going on. But I think it's a much broader scheme overall than just um, than just trying to deal with the, um, getting rid of a bunch of Americans. 
And then today, I don't know if you've heard about this, get this just blows my mind. Since we're talking about vaccines, they are now in the process of making a fentanyl vaccine. Yes, I said fentanyl. Okay, so here we have Biden intentionally inviting the drug cartels to bring fentanyl in here to poison our young people. And at the same time, Big Pharma, with the help of the Biden administration, is, is developing a vaccine against fentanyl. Now, we ever had a vaccine against something that wasn't a disease. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what? A fentanyl vaccine. You know, Diane, that's scary. A, a, a friend of mine just... A fentanyl uh, vaccine, yeah. A friend of mine lost his son about a month ago to fentanyl, and oh, no. it's just, oh, no. just tragic. Steve, you were just, yeah. you were just talking yeah. about uh, that that lady that was talking about lowering population. Oh, uh, Catherine uh, Austin Fitz. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was watching uh, a presentation she gave in Netherland in the Netherlands. I sometime in 2022. I'm not sure just what month it was. And mm. she was talking about digital currency. Uh, right, right. And how that is another means of controlling people. They, of course. you know, all your monetary, how shall we say this? All of your financial assets are digitized and they can observe, watch what you spend your money on and they can control what you spend your money on and they can control where you spend that money. As she said in the video, or said in her presentation, they may not allow you to spend money on certain items that are more than five miles from your house or where you live. Oh, oh. It's all about control. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my yeah. daughter lived when in China for a couple of years, yeah. and they have over there something called the social credits. And if you yes. lose your social credits, that is by doing something like the three of us are doing right now, you can't even get on a, mm -hmm. on a train, let alone get a job. You can't go into a supermarket. It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of like the mark of the beast. You'll, need, you'll not be allowed to buy or sell mm -hmm. if you have the mm -hmm. mark of the beast. And it, it sounds like the social credit thing. Do you bow to Big Brother or... Are we going to fight this? Mm -hmm. Well, we're about to wrap this up today. And uh, Diane, you're you're really great today at giving us uh, your very uh, studied and educated opinions on this. But I like to leave on a hope of on, on something of hope. Um, do you have any mm -hmm. solutions for what's going on? People have got to get involved. They have to educate themselves. They have to get off of the, the mainstream media, get their news from other sources, talk to people, find out what's really happening, and then get involved in some way in fighting back. That's one of the reasons I'm on your podcast. That's one of the, even though I'm a baby boomer and I don't have children or grandchildren to worry about, I worry about where, what's going to happen to our young people 20 years from now. I mean, who knows? So that's one of the reasons I'm, I started my newsletter with the uh, Substack. By the way, little advertising here, 
Please. It's called America First Reignited. America First Reignited. So check it out, everybody. I've been writing since July, and I appreciate your comments if you want to comment on an article. America First Reignited.com. Right. Okay. Steve. Well, it'd be on Substack. It's it's in Substack. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Steve, do you have any any words of hope or what can yes, we do? Yes, I think I think what what Diane says is right. We have to people have to be informed of what's happening. You know, it, you know the story of the frog. You put him in the pan of boiling water and he jumps right out. That's not what what is happening to us. But you put him in water the same temperature as the pond and slowly heat it up and you cook him. And that's what's been going on in the United States for at least a century. We go back to the progressive yes. era. Um, <clears throat> but there are things that we can do. And, and Catherine Fitz mentioned one just yesterday. I mean, she didn't mention it yesterday, but I just listened to it yesterday. And that is in terms of digital currency and, and the elites trying to control us by controlling how we spend our, our money, um, everybody uses cash one day a week. That puts a monkey wrench in what they're trying to do. Use paper dollars. Don't use a credit card or a debit card, but uh, make it a paper transaction. More than that, I think that the answer really lies in... Um, in people being willing to do what's necessary to preserve liberty for the next generation. I think that's going to bring us to a whole other topic, and uh, which we'll be just discussing in the future. Everybody who's heard the podcast today, I, I appreciate your listening in. I really appreciate Diane Gruber and Professor Steve Putney joining me today. You're going to be regulars as long as you allow me uh, to be your host. And I'll take a line from the movie Taken. As Liam Neeson said, I have special skills and I will find you and I will interview <laughs> you. So, <laughs> so <That's a> good one. <laughs> God bless you, uh, uh, the radio listening audience, and God bless you, Steve and, and Diane. Everybody have a great day. 